Good morning. I'll make sure this thing was on. We are glad to see you here today. It was a good day to be in the God's house for some great worship, wasn't it? I'm ready for this message because of what we just did. Thanks uh, for that, guys. And listen, we're starting a new series today, and this is the name of the series. It's called You Can Know God's Will. Now, that's a strong statement, isn't it? You and I, just regular folks sitting in the, in the chairs here today, we can know God's will. And some of you may doubt that statement because uh, of some experiences you've had. Perhaps um, there's been a time in your life where uh, you, you tried to seek God's will. You were, you were trying to listen for what he wanted you to do. You're trying to discern what was best for your life. And you just didn't get anything back. You just felt like there wasn't any answer from God on what you should do with a decision that was before you. Or perhaps other times you've had it where you sought God's will and you, you thought, well, maybe this is what God wants me to do. And so you took off in that direction. And then the path that God put you on, or at least the path you went on, was full of hardship and trial. A very bumpy, dangerous, toxic, perhaps even road. And you thought, well, maybe I heard from God wrong. Maybe that wasn't his will. Maybe I just went out off my, was that my will or was that his will? Did I, did I hear right or did I hear wrong. Listen, oftentimes trying to discern God's will can feel like this picture that we have. It just feels like this impossible equation with too many factors and too many variables and too many things to consider. And we just feel lost in that whole thing. That's how I felt Saturday morning with a cup of coffee when I came downstairs and my daughter's working on pre-calculus in college. And I said, baby, A, I'm not awake. Uh, B, I don't know. (laughs) I used to know, but I don't know. And it can feel very confusing like that. Guys, today what we want to do is to know God's will. I believe that the God of the universe created you to be able to understand and discern his will for your life. And you won't know everything he wants you to know, but you can know enough. You can know what to do next. And the key word in that statement is can. You can. It's possible. But I want to just warn you, it's not instinctual in that it comes natural to you. God's will isn't just going to fall in your lap without any effort or discernment on your part. It's not that easy. And secondly, it's also not by ritual, meaning there's no formula we can just, just fill out. There's not just this thing we can do every single time, and every single time it's the same way, and we just discern God's will through formula. If that was true, man, we would just be so tempted to, to work the equation to discern God's will and never give credence to the equation giver. It'd be like a kid that gets their allowance and then doesn't give any attention to mom and dad. That never happens. Right? See, God's too smart for that. He says, listen, if you want to know my will, I'm not going to give it to you in a formula, but I am going to make it possible. And it's going to take effort on your part. You're going to have to put in some work to discern my will for your life. Anytime we put in effort, we want results, right? I mean, nobody trains with their sports team in labors and sweat and blood and tears and then says, man, I hope we come in dead last this year. Nobody says that. Nobody picks up an instrument and learns how to play it and learns the notes and learns the scale and says, I hope I never play a song on this thing. And nobody trades in the double-decker combo meals for salads, not hoping the, the, the... Scale doesn't change a little bit. No, we put in that kind of work because we want to see something for our effort. You know what? God wants you to know his will. And if we put in some effort, God can discern, help you discern his will for your life. 
Because some of you right now have been putting off a decision or something that God's been pressing into you about and you need to make that decision, but for whatever reason you haven't made it, it's time to discern his will. Some of you have um, just in that point where it's, it's uh, this way or that way, is it my will or is it his will? And it's a time to discern his will for your life. And over and over again in our walk with God, we'll come to those moments where we have to decide, what is God trying to say to me in this moment? So we're going to give, the ne- this week and the next three weeks, what we want to give to you is a process, not a formula, but a process you go through, some key stepping stones to discovering God's will for your life. Okay, and in that, not only you discover His will, you get closer to Him. So let's take a first step today in discovering God's will. We're going to start in Romans chapter 12. And starting in verse 2, and it says this. Paul's writing, it says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now, this verse says a lot of things. Primarily in the first part, it's talking about that this world is trying to compress and mold us into its image and do things its way and think its way and act its way. And oftentimes, if we're honest, that conformity is not in conformity to the will of God. So the current of our culture is pushing us away from the will of God. And, and God says, listen, but you can fight against that and instead you could be transformed by the renewing of your mind that as we get God's word in us and apply it to our lives, we actually can do things God's way instead of the world's way. And, our, and God's word takes a huge part in that process. We're gonna, I could talk for hours on that today, but we're going to look at that next week. I hope you join us for that next week. What I want you to see today is the second half of this verse when it says, then you will be able to test and approve God, what God's will is. Does that sound like we can know God's will? Yes, absolutely. Then you'll be able to test and approve God's will. You'll be able to experience it in your life, and you go, you know what? It's right, and it's good, and it's true. We can know it, and we can experience his will for our life. We want to look at today what God's will is like, and that we can know it. The reason we can know God's will is because God wants you to know his will. The reason we can know God's will and that it is knowable is he has made it that way. I've always taken covering in the fact that God is not trying to hide his will from you or his will from me. He wants to reveal his will to us. And so we need to ask ourselves a few questions like, do I really believe that God will reveal his will for my life? Do I believe that? Do I believe that God is knowledgeable enough to be able to tell me his will? Do I believe that God is accessible enough to be able to explain that will to me? Do I believe God is loving enough in order to share that with me? See, the idea of knowing God's will is rooted in what we believe about God himself. And just in case you're doubting, God is that knowledgeable. God is omniscient, meaning he knows all things. He is that knowledgeable. God is omnipresent. He is accessible because he is everywhere and in every place. He is just a prayer away through his son, Jesus Christ. He is that accessible and and he is that loving. We'll look at that in just a second. And God loves, he delights, he enjoys it when God's people know his will. I can imagine the joy a teacher would have if they're explaining something to someone and that formula on the board and they're trying to work and it's complicated and it's hard and the student's not getting it. 
and they explain it once and they explain it twice and then finally there's a breakthrough and the light bulb goes off and the, and the student gets what the teacher is teaching and they got it and the teacher has to feel that amazing joy. Yeah, they get it. God's joy is greater than that. The feeling a parent feels when they, when they sit the little child in the sandbox and they have to play with other kids and there's pails and, and shovels and, and they're afraid they're going to hit the other kid with the pail. But instead they share their, their little shovel with the other kid and they go, oh, oh man, that's awesome. They're catching it. They're getting it. I didn't raise a monster. That's awesome, you know. <laughs> It's probably the, the joy that your in-laws feel after a long weekend and you finally leave. It's that kind of joy, okay, that God enjoys when we get his will. He delights in that. He delights in it. So let's look at what God's will is like. It says it right here in our verse. First of all, God's will is good. It's good. Or fill in the blank. God's will is good because God is good. In fact, I'll take it up a notch. Not only is God good, God is love. It's not that God is just loving. 1 John 4, 8 says God is love. God isn't just an express love. The very essence of who God is, is goodness and love. That means he loves you. And he knows everything about you. He knows your name. He knows the number of hairs on your head, the scripture says. He knows what you've done in secret and said in secret. He knows what you thought and you've never told anyone else. God knows every single thing about you in your worst moments, and yet God loves you. That's how loving he is. He is love. And because he is good and because his, he is love, he reveals the, in the inherent qualities of himself in his will to us. So you can't help but get good direction from a good God. You just can't help but get good direction from a good God. So how many of you plan on going to Chick-fil-A anytime else in the rest of your life? Okay, that's all of you. Come on, let's not lie. All y'all are going to be at Chick-fil-A at some point. And I can already tell you what you're going to order at Chick-fil-A. It's chicken. <laughs> how do I know that? That's all they serve at Chick-fil-A. It's chicken. That's all you can get there. Guess what? All we're going to get from a good God is good things. The will of God is good because he is good. It's all he's serving on the menu is good things, good will. His will is good. Now, it's going to lead us to being morally good, but I want you to hear something. When we say God's will is good, it doesn't mean that everything that happens in our life is good. That's not what it means. In fact, we're going to find out when we, when we asked earlier, was I wrong when this road got hard and it was difficult and I wonder if I'm on the will of God? Sometimes God in his divine wisdom and, and, and thinking beyond our thinking puts us on a road that is difficult and hard, has hardship and trials and problems and issues and that is exactly where he wants you to be and that is exactly the will of God for your life. Why? Because somehow, someway, those potholes and problems and detours and pitfalls on the road of God is actually bringing about good things in his eternal plan. Even though it doesn't feel good today. Even though it isn't what I would have chosen. Even though it's not my definition of good. That God's plan, even though we don't, may not understand it every time, that his plan is ultimately good. You can ask Job. God had a plan, and it was terrible, 
in the moment, but he could say at the end, God's plan is good. You could ask Jeremiah, and Jeremiah would say, man, I labored for God, and I had almost nothing to show for it, and yet God in his wisdom said, Jeremiah, you did what I asked, you were in my will, and I say that's good. You could ask Paul who wrote this, who God is sure he used in incredible ways, but man, he faced more hardship than you and I can imagine, and God said that road for that I put you on, Paul, was good. I can use that for good. God's will is good. Secondly, it says God's will is pleasing. It's pleasing. Now, the, the million-dollar question we've got to ask is, is it pleasing for God or is it, who's it pleasing for? Is it God pleasing for us? Can I tell you God's will is primarily pleasing to God, not us. Foremost and primarily, God is concerned with it being pleasing to him, that his will would serve his purposes and not our purposes. Unless, unless those two things align as we delight in the things that God delights in. Because here's what it feels like. When we're on the road of God's will, there's going to come a moment where we're going to have to choose between uh, what is good and pleasing for us and what is good and pleasing for God. And sometimes those things align and sometimes they don't. Look at this verse. I love this verse. Proverbs 37, 4 says, Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Whether you and I enjoy the road God puts us on and the will of his for, his, for your life will largely depend on you and where your heart is. If you and I love the things that we were never meant to love, and, and we put our hope in those things, and we, and we long for those things, God's, God's will for our lives will ultimately pull us away from the things that we were never meant to love, and we won't be happy about it, and it won't be pleasing to us, but it'll be pleasing to Him. But if we do delight in the things of God, if we do love the things that please him, then if we love what God loves, things like mercy and grace and justice and peace and his kingdom and his righteousness, and those things are what we delight ourselves in, then we can have the uh, same uh, pleasing uh, pleasantness of his, of his will that God experiences. Because we know this. There's eternal purpose in God's plan. God, why am I going through what I'm going through? We may not understand the purpose of it today, but we can understand, listen, God has purpose beyond what I see in this moment, and there's an eternal purpose that he's working out in my life, and it's going to ultimately be pleasing one day because then I'll see it the way God sees it. Thirdly, God's, purpose, God's will is perfect. God's will is perfect. That means you and I can't add to it. That means at some point on this road that we're going on, when we said it's what's pleasing to me or what's pleasing to him, it's the same idea. It's what's perfect for God or what's perfect for me. That, that sometimes what, what we're pleasing to God and what we're striving towards God and what God says is his perfect will is also what we want. And so we walk in that and we thought, this is great. This is where it's supposed to be. But at some point in our walk, it's also going to diverge. And they're going to be in conflict with one another. And you and I will have to choose. Is it what I want and what I said is, say is pleasing? Or is it what he says and what he wants for pleasing for me? We'll have to choose. See, God has a perfect will and God has a permissive will. 
And God's perfect will is that we always stay in tune with what he wants and we continually walk on the way he wants us to walk and we keep lockstep with our God and he shows us daily where we're supposed to go and what we're supposed to do and how we're supposed to act and, and the decision we're supposed to make and we stay in his perfect will and it doesn't mean it's always perfect to us. There's still bumps and potholes and, and problems on this road but we stay in his perfect will. But then there's also his permissive will. We say, you know what, God, I know the path you want me to go down, but I don't want to go down that path. I'm going to choose to go my own way. This is the road I'm going down. And God says, you can. Go ahead. You're not a robot. You have the freedom to choose. This is my perfect will. But if you want to choose your own will, you can. And I will permit it. That's my permissive will. But it is not my perfect will. The will God has for you is to be perfect. It has perfect intentions. It has perfect perspective. It sees this decision today in light of eternity, not just what I want now, but what God wants ultimately. Big difference sometimes. So let me just summarize. God's will is good. It's pleasing. It's perfect. Here's what we're saying. Following God's plan for you will form in you the goodness in your character It will capture your heart and love the things that God loves. And it will prevent you from choosing your own way. And if that's what you want, I got great news because that's exactly what God wants for you too. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now, I want to back up a verse because we started in Romans 12, 2. I want to go to Romans 12, 1 and get some context to this. God's will, my will. God's way, my way. That's a difficult choice. You say, well, why, why, would I, why would I make those choices today? I want you to show the context and the motivation for that from verse 1. It says this, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Listen, you want to follow God's will? That's good. You should. God's solution to that, God's remedy for that, the way you get in his will, he says, go ahead and get up on the altar. You want to be a living sacrifice? You want to follow my will? You want to experience my good, pleasing, and perfect will? It's going to require you to crawl up on the altar of self-sacrifice and die to yourself daily. If you're going to follow my will, that means you've got to subject your will to my will and your desires to my desires and your wants to my wants. Give up your rights for the rights of others. Say, man, that's a a heavy price. He's asking a lot. He is, and it is. You'll say, well, why in the world? What would possibly motivate me? What would be the compelling reason I would need that I would want to give up my wants and my desires in this life for the desires and wants of God? You better have a really compelling reason. He actually gives us the reason right here. Here's the reason. We choose his way and not our way. Here's the reason that we lay down our life as a living sacrifice. Here's the reason we die upon the altar of Christ and we live for him and not for ourselves. He says, in view of God's mercy. 
You want to know why? It's because the God of the universe has shown us mercy. The God of the universe who could have judged us in his righteousness and his holiness. He says, you are guilty before me and you are sinful to your core. And and what you do, you do for yourself nine times out of ten. And and let's be honest, there's also this moral deficiency within you. And you choose to do things that are sin, that are offensive to a holy God. And because of those two things, your sinfulness and your selfishness, you and I deserve a punishment from a holy God, yet in view of God's mercy, the judgment that you and I deserve, he says, you don't have to take it anymore. And he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to come bear that burden in our place, to come take the weight and responsibility of your sin and my sin, and to bear it to a cross and die in our place, that we might be forgiven, that we might know the love and acceptance of our heavenly Father that we might be set free from selfishness and sin, that you and I might be ushered into a home in heaven and born into a family of God. He says, in view of all that God has done for you because you were destined for a life of hell and because you were destined for a place no one wants to go and yet God intervened and showed mercy. You did nothing to earn it and he just did it for you anyway. Because he did that for you, now live for me. That's why. That's why his will reigns supreme. That's why he calls the shots, because he's done everything for us. He took all the risks. I mean, he stepped out of heaven. You hadn't responded to him yet. He he bore the weight of your sin. You weren't even born yet. He died upon the cross in, in your place. It should have been you and I dying, and he died instead. And he went to hell and paid the penalty in hell and rose from the dead to give life. And he took all the risk, offering us love and forgiveness. Before he never, we ever responded, he said, here, you can have it. Now, will you receive it? And will you follow me? What a God. What an amazing offer. What gratitude that wells up inside of us to know that God would love us so well. See, the only reason God reveals his will to you and I is that you and I will follow his will. We go ahead and follow it. When we say, God, I'll follow you, and we realize what our life would have looked like apart from him, it becomes the natural response of our life to go, your will, God, because of all you've done, I follow you. Now, I want you to see the context of what Paul was writing here in chapter 12. I want to back up three chapters. Chapter 9, 10, and 11. Uh, if you know the story of Paul, he was a Jewish guy who, who came to faith in Christ supernaturally. He met the risen Christ in Acts 9, and it radically changed his life. And, and the rest of his life was given to service to God, and he spent a lot of time going city to city, and he would preach the good news of Christ, that Jesus rose from the dead and offers eternal life and forgiveness to those who will give, receive him and lay their life down back to him. And he says, you can have that. And to his Jewish brothers, they largely rejected the message of Jesus. He'd go into a synagogue in those cities and they'd largely reject his message or break his heart. And then he'd go to the Gentiles in that city and they would respond much better to the good news of Christ. And over and over again, this was the pattern of Paul's life. And he had to be perplexed and saying, God, why is this your will? Why are the Jews rejecting you? Why won't they come into the fold? 
And then here later in one of his last books in Romans, he's writing the mystery, what he calls the mystery of God's will, saying God had a plan, and as the Jews rejected me, it opened the doors for the Gentiles, that's you and I if you're not Jewish, and that the, the gospel being rejected by them allowed us to be entered into the kingdom of God, and because of that mysterious will, we get to partake in God's kingdom. And oh, by the way, chapter 11, I still have a plan for the Israelites, and I'm going to bring them back into the fold one day. And they'll know me as Savior as well. The context of the whole book of Romans is this discourse on the free gift of God, of salvation through Jesus Christ. It's by faith in Christ alone, and that this free gift was offered to those who, who turn from their sin and turn to Christ. It's a plan neither none of us would have come up with, that God in his mercy would treat us better than our sins deserve, and though we have broken the law, and no one will be declared to righteous by following the law of God, that he would intervene by sending his own, Jesus, own son Jesus to die in our place. None of us would have concocted that plan. And yet God did in his mysterious will. So here's Paul, year after year after year, laboring that people might know him, that, that Jewish, his fellow Jewish believers uh, or people would know Christ. In fact, in one place in his writing, he said, I'd be willing that I would be uh, eternally rejected by God and, and in damnation that the, uh, my fellow Jews might come to faith in Christ. I promise you, I've never prayed that prayer. I don't know if you have. I just, God, if they would come to Christ, you could send me to hell. That's what Paul's, that's how much he loved his fellow Jews. And his whole life, he's got, why don't they respond? Why are they rejecting? What is your plan? And then here he is later in life, writing Romans 9 through 11. God reveals this mystery of his will to Paul. And I'm not saying we get to know the scripture like Paul got scripture revealed, but we can know his will like Paul learned his will. And it wasn't through a flippant prayer. It was through, through days and weeks and sometimes years of praying and seeking and waiting and listening and believing God and then finally understanding his will for his life. That's the same offer we get today. You can know his will, but you've got to seek it. You're going to have to pray. You're going to have to wait. You might have to labor. And then finally, one day, understand. Let me just ask you a couple questions. Will you seek it like that? We're at the front end of this series. I'm going to just challenge you. Like, like make it your heart desires. God, I want to learn how to discern your will, and I'm going to work at this. I'm going to be back the next three weeks. I'm going to be watching and, and learning from this series of how I can personally discern God's will for my life. The truths we're teaching in this series are from the scripture, but uh, one of our elders, Jeff, wrote a book about it. It's called Stepping Stones to Discovering God's Will. We're going to have that book available starting next week. Maybe you need to buy that book and read that book. It's greater detail on how to discern God's will. Just decide that it's worth seeking today. My second question is, will you obey it? Will you obey his will regardless of what it may be for you? Even if it means sacrificing my wants and desires, will you obey? 
even if it means going a direction that, that may be a difficult road and ultimately for good, even though it's hard in the moment that God is still working this sovereign plan and I'm just a minutia in this whole plan and the world doesn't revolve around me, but God is orchestrating things that are greater than my life and greater than the United States and greater than 2020, that he's got all of eternity and all the, all the people and the nations of the world in view. And I'm just this little piece of God's ultimate plan and will for the world. And as he reveals that for you, will you decide, yes, I'm going to go ahead and obey it. You know, you don't have to wait for the moment of decision to decide you're going to obey God's will. Jesus came down to earth knowing what his ultimate mission was, to die on the cross for our sins. In fact, in his ministry, it says at one point, Jesus turned his face resolutely to Jerusalem saying, I'm heading that direction. I know exactly what's going to happen to me. They're going to string me up on a board and nail me to wood, and I'm going to die for the sins of the world. He knew exactly what he was heading towards. He'd already made the decision. And then in the, in the garden, the night he's arrested, the day before he dies... He's still wrestling. He's already made the decision, but, but he says, God, if there's any other way, if there's any other possible avenue that you could redeem a lost world and these children that you love by me not having to die in their place, if there's any other way. Second time, God, if there's any other way. Third prayer. If there's any other way. Well, how does he finish that? Not my will, but yours be done. Guys, we can make that our prayer today. God, whatever you reveal, whatever the discernment I get, whatever you've got for this choice I need to make in the direction of my life, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you today, God, not my will, but yours be done in my life. Jesus said an amazing statement in John 10, 27. He said, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I was talking to Monica before the sermon uh, today between services, and she said, sheep are skittish. If they don't really, 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 really know you and trust you, they're not following you. And God says, listen, we are sheep, meaning uh, we can know God, but knowing God's will ultimately begins by knowing and trusting Jesus. That's how we know his will. And conversely, you can't know God's will for your life if you are not one of his sheep. If you don't listen and know and trust Jesus, there's no way to know his will. According to John 10, very quickly, the sheep are the ones that believe that Jesus was sent from the Almighty God. They believe he came in the flesh, taking the weight of our sin. They believe that he went to the cross as the remedy for our sin that affects all of our lives. The sheep are the ones who believe these things and have made a decision about those things. They've decided my way isn't the best way. I'm going to turn to Jesus Christ, turn away from my sin, and turn to this good shepherd who loves me, this voice I can trust, this one who created me, and I'm turning to him for what I can't give myself, and that is freedom from sin and eternal life. And they trust in Christ, and they follow him. His sheep follow him. Those are the ones who can hear his voice. Let me ask you, are you one of those sheep? Are you a follower of Jesus Christ? One more verse, Matthew 25. Jesus also said this, All the nations will be gathered before him. This is a future day. 
And he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep and the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and his goats on his left. I don't know about you, but I've, I've confused goat and sheep before. Have you? I mean, at a glance, they look the same. Maybe I'm just stupid, but I've done it. Maybe you've done it too. You know what? A goat can get away with looking like a sheep for now. You can talk the talk, and you can blend in, and you can act like you belong, and you can pretend to be a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ, and you, and you, uh, you may get away with that, but there's a big difference between a goat and a sheep. The sheep know the shepherd, and the goat doesn't know him. And you can get away with it for now. One day, one day, you'll be exposed. That God will reveal you either as a sheep or a goat. God knows your heart. And if you've never bowed your life to the shepherd, the good king, the one who loves you and created you and laid down his life for you, the first thing you need to know is that you need to come to him in humility and say, God, I, I surrender my life to you and I believe Jesus died in my place and I receive him into my life and I want to follow him. Let's pray together. God, the sheep and the goats, one day that passage says that to the sheep that know you and follow you, you'll say, come to me and enjoy me forever. In that same passage, you say the goats that don't know you, you're going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. And if that's not bad enough, he says, they'll be cast into an eternal fire. Only you know if you're a sheep or a goat. You and the Lord. This is between you and God. And right now, he's searching your heart. I pray you just be honest with God. If you are a sheep and you know Jesus Christ and you've received him as the leader and the forgiver of your life, rejoice in what God has done. Get a good view of God's mercy. Remember where you would be without Him and thank the living God for all that He's done for you. If you're a goat and you don't know Christ, you've never led Him into your life, today, would you make that decision? And just say, God, I need your help. My way is not working. I choose you, Jesus. I believe you died on the cross for my sin. I believe you're the Son of God who rose from the dead. And I put my trust in you, my good shepherd, to lead me to green pastures, to lead me to eternal life, to lead me to the best life today as I follow you. Would you forgive me? Make this your prayer. God, would you forgive me as I put my faith in Jesus and in him alone? Man, if you prayed that, a transformation happened from goat to sheep. And now one day you'll hear your heavenly father say, come, come to me. Lord, I pray for every single person in this room that we'd go ahead and be submitted to the will of God, your will to our lives. That whatever you ask of us, whatever your will includes, we could go ahead and say, God, I'm crawling on that altar. And I want to live for you. I die to myself. 
and I want to live for you. And whatever you say is good and pleasing and perfect in your will, that's what I want from my life. And I choose to follow it today and every day forward. We pray this in your precious name, Lord Jesus.